Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. The show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. I'm so excited to be talking to Carrie Sporer here today. She's the co-founder of Swear, and I can't wait to hear more about what this is and um, for all of our listeners to get to find out about this product and, and what you've done with it. So thank you so much for coming on today, Carrie. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Let's start with um, let's start with a little introduction. How do you how do you introduce your your company, your product? What is it? Because um, I think for anybody who hasn't heard of it before, they might not know what we're even talking about with Swear. And I think it is just an incredible idea. So let's start there. Tell us what it's all about, and then I kind of want to back up and and talk about like how you've actually made it into a thing. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So. Swear is a, we launched in September of 2020. Um, so we just celebrated our one year anniversary, which seems crazy because in some ways it seems like the blink of an eye. And in some ways I feel like I've been doing this for decades. Mm -hmm. Um, but the brand is meant to address the special hair care needs of people that work out. Um, so we launched with a hero product, which is our showerless shampoo. So it is a product that is an alternative to dry shampoo that lets you clean sweaty hair really quickly. So I know a lot of people that work out or, you know, try to stagger the days that they do an in-shower shampoo, will use dry shampoo um, to kind of hold them over in between. But I never really loved that, co um, that product and neither did my co-founder. Um, she has a sensitive scalp. Um, I have dark hair and, you know, dry shampoo just kind of left my hair really dull. It looked great for, you know, five minutes. And then after I left the bathroom and went on with my day, it kind of like became PC and chunky from the stuff that you add to your hair. So we were like, there has to be a better way, <laughs> like something in between a dry shampoo and an in-shower shampoo. So that's kind of where our inspiration started. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like it's something we all need. And I, I agree. I've never really loved, I love the concept of dry shampoo, but I've never really like loved actually using one. And I also don't like to wash my hair that much. <laughs> so I like <laughs> something like that. And especially like I noticed like on your website and social media and everything. And, and as you said, it's, it's like for people who like work out and are like actually getting sweaty, but can't like, I hate that you have to plan working out around like what else is happening that day or plan how you're going to get ready. And, and I mean, not that you have to, but like when you're thinking about what else you have to do and like, am I going to be able to take a shower or do I want to have to be able to wash my hair that day before like my meetings or whatever. So it sounds like such uh, I mean, I'm sure everyone you meet is like, oh my gosh, like this is <laughs> <what I need." laughs> 
Yeah, my co-founder and I, we actually met through a marathon training group. Um, So this was a product that really was like in our faces from the moment that we met. Um, And then we also really loved doing boot camp classes together. And we were like always the people sneaking out of class a few minutes early so we could hit the showers first so that we had time to wash and dry our hair before heading to the office that day. Um, This was obviously pre-pandemic. And, you know, we just felt like there had to be a better way. And, you know, we met back in 2007 and literally were complaining about this for over a decade before we started doing some research about how to make our dream product. So, so that's a great segue into like, how the heck did you figure out how to actually make something like this? Cause I imagine, well, I assume neither of you had an actual background in like creating hair, hair care products or, or any kind of product, right. Or what was how, like, yeah, how did you know what to do? Yeah, so we are both fashion and in, uh, beauty industry outsiders. My background is in the fashion industry. Uh, Meredith, my co-founder, comes from finance. So we, yeah, we had no clue what we were doing. And I kind of assumed anybody that launched a hair or beauty brand was like making things in their kitchen, <laughs> like experimenting with the chemicals and um, ingredients themselves. But well, that's literally um, what I was thinking because I was like, I imagine that people who are starting like a, a skincare brand or something maybe are starting to make like creams by themselves. But for, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think when I first thought, I was like, this must be like in a spray bottle. And, and I think when I looked closer, I saw it is just like, kind of like a, it's kind of like a squirt bottle type of thing, right? It's not like a, like I was picturing like dry shampoo that comes like, you know, um, like more of an aerosol kind of thing or something. I don't know. But I was like, I don't know, for some reason it just sounded harder to me (laughs) something that you could mix up in your kitchen but yeah if you don't know if you if you aren't that kind of person how did you figure that what the what to do yeah so um my job most recently before starting swear was um I had come up through the fashion industry and then after um, I had my first son and wanted to stop traveling I started consulting and I met a lot of founders and this was in the fashion space but a lot of them came from completely unrelated industries. And I just kind of started to learn more about contract manufacturing, which is when you have the idea, but you don't actually make the product or even the first sample. And these are um, a little bit more plug and play factories that you you can bring your idea to and they'll really help you start the process and do all of the initial work. So we found something like that in the beauty space. There's a bunch of them. we work with somebody local in the US. There's obviously a ton global of all different sizes. And, you know, we found a smaller manufacturer. We talked to a bunch of people. Um, we kind of gave them our proposal of what we wanted to make. And then we also had a really extensive no list um, just of products that we were accustomed to not having in our beauty products, <laughs> you know, just from seeing on the labels and from reading more. Uh, Meredith and I both really were trying to clean up our own personal routines. And we also felt really strongly, like we're spending all of this time running and working out for our mental and physical health. Why are we going to put chemicals onto and into our bodies? And I'm not perfect in that practice myself, um, but I'm trying, you know, all of the time to get um, healthier products for myself and for the earth, you know, in my own routine, as well as for the brand. So a lot of the um, factories that we went to with this extensive no list, they're like, we can't make this happen for you without these products. You need harsher ingredients. And if that was going to be the answer, we didn't want to do it. 
but we did kind of stumble upon one factory and one chemist in particular that was like so excited by this challenge. <laughs> um, you know, he's like, this is not going to be easy, but I think that it's awesome what you guys are trying to do and I want to help you. And that was really all the spark that we needed to kind of go full force. And honestly, at that point, it was like Googling our way to success. Like that's how we found all of the different factories to call. And, you know, once we got the names, we obviously did some research and spent a lot of time talking to them and them talking to us. Cause obviously the relationship has to work both ways to be successful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I love it. I, I love it. Everyone, everyone says that, right. It's all Googling until you Googling to figure, out what to, do and to figure out what connections you need and who to reach out to and what questions to ask. Um, so when you found the company, the, the mm-hmm. production, um, company, you were kind of like, we want, so we want it to be basically like a shampoo, but that doesn't have to get wet. Like what kinds of, um, what kinds of challenges did you come up with or what kinds of things? I know you said, like they said it would be hard, (laughs) but what does that process look like? I guess, like what kinds of things, how did you figure that out? And did you have to like do a ton of tasks? Like, did they kind of say, here's something that might work and you had to like try it out and then be like, oh, but it's, you know, it kind of works, but we need to like maybe tweak this and that. Like, did you kind of have to figure that stuff out yourself? Yeah. So when we were describing it to the factories, we kind of described it like a Lysol for your hair was kind of the verbiage that we were using. I mean, and the fact that we wanted it to be completely, you know, free of harsh chemicals, that's kind of a funny comparison to me, but just in terms of like efficacy, like something that can really get it clean quickly without a lot of effort. Um, so what we were envisioning was really just a spray that was going to clean your hair. But what we quickly realized is that could not be done without alcohol. Um, and that was something that for a variety of reasons we didn't want to use. Um, you know, it's, it really makes your hair brittle. It can dry your scalp, um, cause a lot of breakage. And then also, um, it's a real problem to ship things that contain alcohol as well. Um, Like if you wanted to, you know, do a big shipment via air because it's flammable, like that kind of triggers other things as well. So, you know, for kind of logistical and health reasons, we didn't want to put alcohol in the product. So um, what we learned is that we needed another process besides the spray. So the way that you actually use the product is you spray it on and it interacts with the dirt and sweat on your hair. And then you actually towel dry it off. And that's, it removes um, the excess product as well as the dirt and sweat from your hair. And since sweat is mostly water and the product is wet, you may have, or you will have a little bit of extra dampness, but you either air dry that or you blow dry it. But instead of starting with like a sopping wet hair from the shower that, you know, for me, it takes like a full 25 minutes to do my like hair routine (laughs) when it's fully wet, you know, this cuts it down, uh, I've timed myself multiple times, like less than four minutes from, you know, getting out of the shower, taking off my shower cap to having fully styled hair. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think it, it seems like it, anytime you don't have to actually like <laughs> fully be in the shower, or fully wash your hair, it's going to save a ton of time and it's clear, right? I mean, from what I saw in the pictures, like it's like a clear product. So it's not like you have any of that, like residue kind of, you're not going to notice like whiteness or something. Like I know you said you towel it all out, but mm-hmm. That's the difference. Yeah. Um, it's like a slightly, um, like milk, like a milky color, but it does, you know, spray on clear and there's absolutely no residue, which was like our number one thing to check off the list. 
And in terms of perfecting the product, um, it, it was actually during lockdown when we were in that phase, um, kind of like March, April, May was when we were really in the perfecting um, part of the process in 2020. So um, I was in upstate New York. My co-founder Meredith was between Manhattan and her family's um, house in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and um, it was really just the lab, like sending us version after version and us, you know, giving feedback, um, on how the product was performing and just really tweaking it. I would say, you know, their first go around was probably 85% of the way there, but it's really just those final details that take the longest time. Um, And then luckily uh, when we were uh, in the point where we were choosing a scent, we were able to actually go to the lab. They were working um, at a very minimal capacity and, but we were able to go and actually do scent testing there, which I think really helped, um, you know, get that 99% to hundred percent pretty quickly because uh, going back and forth in the beginning with scents was like very, very time consuming. Cause you have to give them your feedback. They have to, um, you know, talk to the provider of the different um, fragrance oils. And like, there's a lot of steps in that. And, you know, they, not everybody always has the ingredients that they need. So um, I would say that the fragrance was, you know, that last little bit was probably the most challenging in terms of like the time allocated. Yeah. That's, it sounds like it would save a lot of time if you could be, be there in person, actually, just like, (laughs) and talk to each other together. You, t- you, you kind of alluded to the co your co-founder and how the chief mm-hmm. this together. Like, mm-hmm. what, tell me more about that. What was it like to start a company with someone else? And like, how do you work together? Do you kind of allocate the diff- different pieces of the job to, to you and then different things to her? And how did that work? Like, were, was she ever like, oh, I like this fragrance. And you were like, oh, I like this sweater. <laughs> like, like, did you ever just like have different things that you liked or wanted out of it that you had to kind of uh, bring together? Or did you guys both just have such a clear vision on what you wanted that that was simple? Yeah, I, I think for me, having a co-founder is like just instrumental to the business and like the whole experience of being an entrepreneur. Um, like I said, we met running and we kind of had this pain point together. Um, and I was the one that was like, let's, you know, I have this, we've had this idea and like, let's, let's actually do it. And, um, you know, I started doing a little bit of the initial research, um, you know, before I got her too excited, like, let's do this thing. Cause always during, you know, we talk about these like ideas that we have on a run and like 99% of them are like nonsense, but we always talk about like wanting to have a business together. And, um, you know, this one, it just seemed like you were saying earlier, like, this is something so many people need. And we were like, let's do it. Um, and I think one of the smart moves that we did was like from the very beginning of the partnership, we spoke to a lawyer about putting an agreement together just to have all of the expectations set from the get-go. And I think a lot of people do the reverse for the, like, let's get the business going and then um, spend the time and money to do an agreement. But I prefer the way that we did it because I feel like it just put the structure in place and, you know, any of those uncomfortable conversations had to be said from like the very, very beginning, yeah. um, you know, things that we wouldn't even think about, you know, that the lawyer was asking us about, you know, what happens if somebody wants out of the business? What happens if you want to take on investors? What, you know, like kind of what that process would look like um, along the line. So I think just getting all of that awkwardness out from the beginning was really helpful. Mm-hmm. 
And then also the person that you choose, I think is super important as well. Like I know with Meredith that we can be very honest with each other and there's no, um, you know, if I say, oh, like either of those options are great. I don't care. You pick, like, I mean that. And likewise, and you know, oh, we've been friends for 15 years now. So like all of those niceties are kind of out the window and we can be with our personalities and just the duration of our friendship, very, very honest and know that, you know, it's business and it's not hard feelings. And, you know, we're making the decisions for the interest of the business and not in the interest of our friendship. Um, So I think we're able to separate that, which is great. Um, And it's just awesome to have, you know, it gets lonely and it gets challenging and just to have somebody along the way. um, I don't know if I would still be doing it if I was doing it by myself, to be very honest. Yeah, no, I, I always, I love to ask that, to ask about that for people who started a business with a co-founder or have a, you know, somebody else alongside them in the business, because as someone who has always been like alone in my business, like started it by myself and have never had that. It's, it's definitely something I think about a lot. Like I think, as you said, it can get really lonely just to have like another opinion from someone who cares as much about it as you like sounds like it could be uh, amazing, but yeah. So what do you, um, I, I can't believe actually that you said you just started it like a year ago, like that you were just developing this in 2020. Cause mm-hmm. I'll be honest, when I was first looking it up, I was like, I, it seemed very, established like it seems like you've been in like a lot of media you have a lot of customers like that's the sense that I got like I just thought it had been around for a long time how did you like how did you build it into what it is already so far like how did you find your first customers and get in front of people and um yeah let's start there like because I know that's always like something people are people struggle with right when you start a first first start a company or first start a product and it's like okay this is a great idea but nobody's buying it or, or about how do I, how do I get it in front of the people who I know need this thing? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's probably the biggest question and what we're also struggling with every day and um, you know, full disclosure, there's definitely a lot of fake it till you make it <laughs> in terms of the outward presentation. And, you know, I'll be perfectly transparent because I know that there's probably a lot of people that have either started or thinking about starting a business um, listening to this. And, you know, we did choose one of our, um, you know, we bootstrap most things where we're managing our website, like we built that ourselves, um, using Shopify and um, managing Amazon ourselves, like including the whole backend, like there's a lot that we're doing ourselves, but we did decide one of the things we were going to invest in for launch was press, Mm. traditional, you know, media PR. And um, I think that that was really great for us to get the name out right out of the gate um, in industry press and also, you know, just in regular press. And we're still working with them at a more limited capacity after launch to, you know, keep spreading the word of the brand. But again, again, full transparency, just, you know, and some of the things really do translate to sales and bring the register. Like, for example, we were in New York magazine and they did an amazing review where the reviewer was using the product and spoke in detail about, you know, how it helped her day and when she uses it. And that was amazing. And like the register was ringing. And then there was other things, you know, in a lure roundup that were like, oh my God, this is going to change the business. And then it's like five sales. (laughs) So it's, it can be really, really hit or miss. Um, But like, you know, you notice it definitely adds a lot of credibility to the brand, which is why, 
you know, people, a lot of people say, well, you know, people don't rely on magazines or old traditional media the same way they used to in terms of making their purchasing decisions. But we knew that it was going to give us some street cred off the back, which is why we really put our money there. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely has helped to build the brand. Like, as I said, in my in my, like, you know, just looking up the brand because I was (laughs) talking to you and I was like, let me, you know, let me see if this would be a cool conversation or if this is a cool product. I, yeah, it, you, the brand came across as like totally legit. I was (laughs) immediately, I, yeah, I honestly didn't realize it was even so new. It just made it look very, yeah, established, I guess, to a certain extent. It just, yeah, strong branding. And Mm -hmm. I, and I don't know if you know this, but I actually own a PR agency. So right. <laughs> always talking to people about that too. I'm like, yeah, it's not necessarily going to be sales immediately, but it's all part of building your brand. And people do look up a product like this before buying it, if they hear about it mm-hmm. or about it. And if they look it up and they see that you've been included in all of these like product roundups or all of these reviews and all in all of these major publications, I mean, that's maybe I fall for it because I'm like in that world. <laughs> truly believe that that is important, but I saw that and I was like, yeah, there are like this, this is something I need, (laughs) but yeah, no. So that, I mean, I feel like that's a great, um, kind of first step or, or a good place to kind of focus when you first launched, because it set you up for probably, you know, months and even years from now, people are going to be seeing that stuff. You know, even if it's just the stuff from the first couple months in business, people, that doesn't matter. You know, if, if you were great in the first couple of months, you're still going to be great three years from now. So that's definitely some good brand building. I would say mm-hmm. how, um, this is, this is kind of not, um, along the same lines, but I'm just curious, like going back to production and like getting your mm-hmm. first you know, knowing that when you first are starting, you obviously don't know if anyone's going to really buy it. I mean, you knew that people were going to want this product, but did you have to order like a minimum amount? Like, did you start with like just ordering a tiny bit to see and to, to see, or did you have to order a whole lot at first? Cause I know sometimes like factories have minimums and then you had like your garages filled with bottles <laughs> of product until you started selling more. Like what is, what did that look like? Yeah. So one of the, uh, so we did have a minimum, um, we started with 6,000 bottles, um, which, uh, between the two sizes, which was, uh, like our factory, we needed to do at least a thousand of each size to get a production run, but just because of the economy of scale that you get with ordering more, we kind of, you know, bulked up a little bit. Um, and because we do have our smaller travel size, we said, instead of doing like a true sample, let's just order more of the travel size. And then we'll use those for, you know, press and events and things like that as well. So we tried to be pretty strategic about it, but it was, you know, it was a really big check to, <laughs> to write, um, you know, not knowing what was going to happen. But I think, you know, one thing that we have in spades um, is just confidence that this product is really a game changer. And, you know, as we're trying to spread the gospel, um, you know, and luckily it's not something like a food item, like, you know, there is uh, some natural preservatives in there. So even if it's sitting around, I mean, we have reordered, luckily, like we've been able um, to work through that and get more, but we kind of knew there's no deadline in moving this, which gave us a little bit of, um, 
uh, ability to relax about <laughs> ordering that number. But, you know, that is kind of, it, it's one of the barriers to entry in the industry for sure. Yeah. And did you guys, did you have any kind of investors or you kind of self-financing or did you do any kind of pre-sales or were you just kind of like here, you know, we're going to get the 6,000 and then we're going to make it. (laughs) Yeah. We're completely self-funded and kind of where we see ourselves for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's um, you know, we're, we're not super young. We've um, Meredith and I have both been, you know, working for about 15 years now and, you know, we're able to do this and we understand that it's not, it's a luxury for us to be able to, you know, invest our own money, but we've just felt like we didn't want the pressure of having, um, you know, an outside, either whether it's perspective or expectation or, you know, numbers to meet. And like you said, the brand came across to you strongly when you were researching it. And that's just what we wanted to focus on. Like, we're like, yes, we do want to sell. Obviously we need the income to keep everything moving smoothly, but you know, this first year to five years, you know, it's really just build the brand, build the brand, build the brand. And if that may come a little bit at the sacrifice of sales, but um, we're okay with it because, you know, we know we're playing the long game. So I feel like the longer that we can kind of keep everything in house, you know, in terms of funding, the better. Yeah, no, that sounds really smart. I think that that's, seems like, it seems like it's working. seems like it makes total sense. And yeah, I think, I mean, again, not to like harp on it, but I feel like focusing on the branding and building that branding is so important. Cause I definitely see, you know, I see people start companies all the time and they're like, oh, once we start like making some more money and like doing more sales, then we'll do a professional photo shoot or then we'll put together our like a nicer version of the website. Or And it's like, those are the things that people need to see in order to want to buy your product. Like those are the things that you need for the launch that make it, make it seem legit to people and get people excited about it. So it, yeah, I think that that's so smart the way you've done it. And it frustrates me a lot when I see people who <laughs> don't have that forethought and they're like, we don't have the money to spend on like the branding or on the marketing. And I'm like, but that is literally how you're going to build a brand and get people to buy your thing. So, um, yeah. I, and there is a lot that, oh, no, go ahead. there is a lot, you know, that if we had more funds that, you know, we have a, a wish list that's a mile long of things that we would want to do, but you know, I also think that being scrappy is really forcing us to be strategic and pick our spots. And again, it may not mean that we're going to have the quickest brand growth, but I think that um, it's really helping us remain focused. And as, you know, a small business with only two people and an intern, you know, focus is something you definitely need because there is so much out there that you feel like you have to tackle, whether it's like press or Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, like it's never ending these things that you feel like you need to have a presence on. But I feel like the fact that we're forced to pick our spots is kind of helpful. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, of course there's, there's so much you can always do. (laughs) How did you, um, did you do anything when you first, like, like, as you said, you kind of, you sold out of those first 6,000 and had to reorder. Did you do anything to celebrate? Like when the first set was like, Oh my gosh, we did (laughs) sold all of these. Anything else to celebrate? Like, successes along the way? So I think that um, that's an area of improvement. Um, 
I that like we can work on. We all fall into yeah. to the next thing. Like as soon as I feel like as soon as you start to get close to like something that feels like a milestone, we're already looking ahead to like all the other things that we want to do next and, and don't necessarily notice as much as we should or acknowledge as much as we should. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm sure you can, uh, you know, agree with this as well. Like as an entrepreneur, you're definitely on a hamster wheel um, in terms of, you know, just keeping up with everything and trying to make that next thing happen. Yeah. Like you said, it's kind of sometimes like almost easy to forget about the successes and just say, yeah, that's great that we did this, but that other thing. Um, But I do think, you know, this question is a great reminder that we do kind of need to stop and slow down and, you know, celebrate the good things that happen and not just check them off the list. Yeah, totally. What do you think has, has allowed you guys to Mm -hmm. be as successful as you have so Mm -hmm. far? I feel like we we probably kind of just already touched on (laughs) some of them, but is there anything else that you think that like either the two of you just like have immediately or something that you've actually done Mm -hmm. like logistically with the company that has helped? Um, you know, I think that really trying to work with other like service providers that are also on the smaller side and startups, I think has been really helpful for us. Like, for example, we do have a third party logistics because, you know, one of the choices that we made was we're going to keep some of the more expensive things in house, like web development and things like that but we don't have the time to do that and pack our own boxes, which was the initial plan. But kind of when we realized how time consuming some of the other things were gonna be and also space, like we both live in Manhattan. It's not like we have a lot of extra space to house this stuff. So we're like, by the time we like rent a place to put the, um, all of the inventory, like we might as well be paying somebody to ship it as well. Um, you know, so we work with a smaller shipper, you know, and all the time we're getting all these inbound emails, like come and ship with us. We ship, you know, um, Glossier or, um, you know, Amico dry shampoo, like all these big brands. Um, but we've really tried to work with other people that are smaller because they think that they understand, um, just where we're at a little bit more. Um, it's not necessarily that they're cheaper, which to be honest, they often are, but which is helpful as well, but they just get it a little bit more. And they're not trying to compare us to bigger brands that they're working with, or, you know, their crazy business model. And they're, they're giving us the time and space that we need to grow. So I think that that's been a really strategic thing, like on all points of the business from like logistics to legal to um, PR uh, marketing, like everybody that we've enlisted as a third party for help at any point in time has been another small business. And I think also just in terms of like our attitude towards the business that's helping with the success is, um, you know, things, (laughs) crazy things pop up that we were, you know, not anticipating. Like for example, um, when we were ready to our first shipment of 5,000 of the 6,000, um, bottles that we ordered, um, there was a contamination in the lab and we had to throw out those 5,000 bottles. Um, so it wasn't luckily like the lab compensated us, you know, like they provided the new formula for free and they paid us back for any of the bottles and sprayers that we had and labels that we had to discard. But, you know, this was before we even launched and it was 
crazy and heartbreaking. And um, we had to push back our launch with press and tell people to like hold their announcements because we weren't going to be able to have stuff, you know, ready to ship on the date that we were supposed to be ready to ship. And I think just kind of like having an attitude of like, you know, at the time it felt like the biggest devastation ever. And looking back at, you know, it, it feels like, okay, that was a thing. But really just at the time, I'm like, all right, this happened. Okay, what's the next thing we can do to make this the next step more smoothly? It's not ideal, but like, you know, what's the best, next best thing? And I think just keeping that attitude really has helped us. Yeah. Do you think that's partly because like, do you think it helps that, that again, you are like friends doing this together, mm-hmm. kind of like keep each other kind of grounded in it or, or anything like that too? Yeah, I think in those instances, having, you know, doing this with Meredith is incredibly um, helpful. Um, you know, someone to commiserate with if it's something crazy, but also, you know, just kind of naturally, it seems like when one of us needs a little pick me up, the other one is feeling a little bit more optimistic or maybe has an, a suggestion or a plan. So, you know, that's been incredibly helpful. Yeah. sounds like it. And are you guys both, you guys, I, I guess I, I just kind of assumed, mm-hmm. as you said, you guys are both like in Manhattan. Do you guys both work mm-hmm. in your homes or do you have a space? Like, are you actually physically mm-hmm. together? I mean, I imagine mm-hmm. doing this in 2020, you were not actually mm-hmm. together. Like, are you just constantly like messaging the phone and stuff? <laughs> How does that actual yeah. work? Yeah. So I'm on the brand full time and we actually um, do have an office space. So I'm here full-time, you know, five days a week. And then uh, Meredith is on the brand part-time and she is with me um, kind of as much as her schedule permits, but usually twice a week. Oh, cool. Okay. So you guys get to have that office time together. That's cool. What do you, you're both, are you both moms or I know you mentioned your, your kids. Um, just me. Okay. So I I was going to ask like what kind of any kind of routines that you have. I always like to know, Mm -hmm. like people talk about like their morning (laughs) routine and stuff. I've always been like, "Mm -hmm." ever since I had kids, there's not really any morning routine, (laughs) but I'm curious, like, do you have, is that a, I mean, now that, now that mine just went back to school, we do have a little bit of a morning routine, which Mm -hmm. is wonderful, but what other people do in terms of a morning routine, a daily routine, or any kind of like weekly things that you do that just like help you feel whatever it is, like help you feel prepared or successful or happy or anything else that you like to, to do if, if anything at all. Yeah. I'm actually a really big routine person. And during COVID that was like probably the biggest struggle for me was like adjust, you know, like going with the flow and not necessarily having a routine. And obviously after a while, when we realized like, this is the new normal and settling in. Um, but I'm a really big routine person. Um, my alarm usually goes off between five or five 30, depending on the morning. Um, and I'm, you know, working out as soon as I wake up, I'm either running or going to the gym. I'm really into, um, weightlifting now, on the days that I'm not running in the gym. Um, I'm sorry, on the days that I'm not running. <laughs> um, and that's how I start my day kind of every day. And for me, it's almost like religious. Like I just don't feel like myself if I haven't moved. I mean, obviously within reason, if I feel exhausted or one of the kids doesn't sleep well, you know, I make sure to give myself 
a break. Like I'm not the kind of person that's going to do it at the risk of my own physical or mental well-being. But um, in general, I'm working out like 99% of the mornings. Um, and then, uh, so my husband will be the one who like helps get the kids, you know, out of bed and start to get settled. And then I come back and then he usually works out and then goes straight to work from there. So we kind of have our little morning, um, shift. And for me, it really just helps kind of like set the tone of the day and feeling like awake. Um, you know, once I do kind of start the work day, um, and then in terms of a weekly routine, my husband and I have a Friday night date night. That is like, I mean, that always has to happen. <laughs> like, um, we have a date night sitter who knows just to show up and, uh, at seven o'clock on Friday nights, like she got, like, there's not even communication. She just shows up. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, and I think, and sometimes like it's with like friends, sometimes it's just the two of us, but I think that that's just really, really important for us. We've been doing it, um, since our oldest was, I think like five weeks old, we like did our first date night. Like it just, I don't know. I think we knew that we needed it then. And we still know that we need it now just to make sure that we have a touch, like a grown up touch base. Um, and obviously we're, you know, we're super fortunate that we have a great sitter, um, that's, you know, able to help us. And we also do have, um, like a nanny during the day, during the week. Like, I don't, you know, people are like, how do you do this? Like as an entrepreneur and a mom, like, I'm not going to pretend for five seconds that I do not have a ton of help, um, that makes it all possible, whether it's like my husband being amazing, you know, helping with the kids, um, and pinch hitting, like if there's like a late night with swear or something like that. And then, you know, having an awesome nanny during the day who I am able to focus on work. And there's definitely things that I'm popping out for, for the kids, um, regarding like school or appointments, but you know, on a normal day, she's got it. And then having somebody, um, to help with date nights that my husband and I can like feel like a couple, um, and you know, keep, keep those good vibes so that he's willing to uh, let me wake up super early and get my workouts in. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, yeah, that sounds like really good, really good little things just to know that you kind of have something to look forward to every week. You have that time to just like, kind of not be, you know, forced, a forced, not thinking about work time mm-hmm. when you're at night or even thinking about the kids, like just like go out and do something else and, and keep yourself kind of in that routine during the week. I'm a routine person too. So I like it. (laughs) I definitely struggled uh, last year with everything, you know, being different. So, um, and wait, how old are your kids? Are they, are they at home with the nanny? Both of them all the time? Um, so I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, two boys. Um, and they both go to school. Um, but most like the school day, uh, my little one gets out after lunch and then the older one, depending on the day, if he has like a program after school, he's usually out between like two and four. And then she's with them, you know, all afternoon until I'm usually done, um, like between five and six. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, talk about how important it is to have that childcare that you can count on mm-hmm. while you're building a, a business and a brand. I think that's <laughs> definitely key. Cool. So uh, I thought there was one other thing I just thought of that I was going to ask you, but now I forgot what it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't know. Okay. Well, there, if I think about it, I might stick it back on the end, but there's two things I always ask towards the end of a conversation. And the first one is what is one thing that you wish you had known more about when you first started the business? Um, I think that, so I'll do like two things. Like one is like a very practical thing and the other is, you know, just kind of more like general uh, thing. So one thing that I wish I had known more about um, was Instagram and Facebook paid advertising. I think that uh, it was something that we jumped into and it was like all of these iOS changes that everybody, you know, in the consumer goods that's, you know, marketing on uh, Facebook and Instagram is, you know, talking about all these changes, making it much more challenging. And I think that um, just learning more about how you can best prepare your brand and your product to be marketed on Instagram, or if it even, um, you know, makes a ton of sense. I think we tried it and a lot of you know, entrepreneurship is trial and error. And I'm really glad that we tried it. And it definitely worked to some extent. But I do think that we, you know, we were excited to do it and, you know, grow our audience and be exposed to more people. But I think that there's just certain um, nuances with our brand in terms of like, we only have one product right now. So we're spending a lot of money to get them to buy one product. And, you know, as opposed to sending them to our website, and then they can like load up their cart with like 10 different swear things, which hopefully will be the future. <laughs> but yeah, not right now. Um, so I think, you know, that's like a very, very specific example, but like, truly what just popped to my mind? <laughs> yes, that question. Um, and I, and then I think that the other thing is really just creative, um, you know, the having a business is really just creative problem solving, like one after the other, like that example of, you know, having a contamination at the lab and having to start, um, you know, that manufacturing batch over again, and, you know, pushing our launch out a couple of weeks and little things, you know, pop up all the time. I think, um, you know, there's part of people that are entrepreneurs that are like, I'm going to start this business and, you know, I'm going to do it right. And, you know, we're going to build the website and then sell the product and then it's going to be great, but it's, you know, little problems come up all of the time. And I think, you know, rather than being another, a synonym for entrepreneur really just should be problem solver <laughs> because um, it, it's really what you do on a daily basis. And I think just having like the mindset that that's what you're going to encounter really just helps the journey. Yeah. So true. I love it. Um, I did think of the other, the other thing I was going to ask was, do you have any plans for next couple months, next couple of years, any, any plans for growth or other products or anything else like that, that you can share yet at this point in time, or just um, well, about in like what you see for the business, I guess in the future, even if it's not, you know, whatever that means to you. <laughs> yeah. I think big picture, like where we really see swear, like 10 years down the line is, a hair care brand that's of hero products and maybe some body care products as well. Um, really one thing that we don't want to do at this point is just make another version of something that our customers already have in their bathrooms or gym bags. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's enough shampoos, there's enough conditioners, there's enough body wash that unless we have something really innovative in the space, we're, we would really rather just focus on, you know, things that haven't been done before, you know, or something that exists, but with like a really unique twist. 
Um, so we, I don't think we're going to ever be one of those brands that, you know, like comes out with like our holiday collection with everything in like pine scent. Like, I think we really want to be focused on, you know, maybe 10 to 12, you know, core products that are all kind of heroes in their own right. Um, I'm realistic that I'm sure it's at some point we'll launch something that isn't and it'll phase out and, you know, something else will replace it. But I think if we have like a very focused assortment of must-haves, that would be a success to me. And we're hoping to launch our second product. Um, we were hoping to do it around January so that it kind of ties in with that whole, you know, working out new year um, rush. But um, there's, you know, so many supply chain issues right now with all of the COVID aftermath and everything going on in the ports and with shipping that uh, we kind of have not locked in a date of exactly when we're going to launch that. We're just being very breezy with it, <laughs> which again is a great part of being self-funded because wow. nobody, no, <laughs> there's nobody breathing down our necks to, you know, get that launch by a specific date. Um, so we're just kind of patiently waiting um, for some updates to know when that'll officially launch, but we will have um, a second product, hopefully Q1 of uh, 2022. Exciting. So that means you already have it in the works. Like it's already, yes, already have yeah, it. You guys are dealing with that's mm-hmm. just pretty quick though to have just launched the first product recently and and now already be on your second one. So but that's cool. Yeah, I think that like ideally we'll launch like two or three products a year. I think for us feels like a good pace. And like, listen, I maybe at some point we will get a little bit more bullish than that. But, you know, for us, that really feels like attainable and um, especially doing everything ourselves. Like if we're making a new product, that's us adding it to the website. And we also sell on Amazon. So, you know, adding it to Amazon, adding it to the website, um, working with PR to launch it, like, you know, each, each product definitely has a whole slew of things to go along with it. So um, that feels doable. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot to me, but (laughs) cool. Is there one, any, any one last word that you'd want to share with others going along this entrepreneurial journey with you? Any bit of advice or Mm -hmm. anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to pass along some words of wisdom that um, somebody else recently gave to me. Um, I was talking to an entrepreneur um, Mike Pandolfini, I'll have to let him know that I gave him a shout out on this. And he has a, um, very different business than what I'm working with. He has a gaming business, um, for website apps and making different like tech components for, um, games. And he said to me, he said, even if this exact vision of the brand you have now doesn't work, like you're going to work because you're committed to this. And you're like, following the signs of moving in the right direction. You know, you're being nimble. You're not, you know, sticking to the plan just because that was the plan and you're moving and you're changing, you're growing. So even if like this vision of swear, as you see it today, isn't what it is in 10 years, like you like as an entrepreneur will still work because you're making it work. And that was just really, um, I thought that was like really great to hear and kind of reassuring because it does, you know, get hard and, you do have to make sure that you are um, sticking to your instincts, but also being flexible and kind of figuring out the right balance of that. Because you don't want to, you know, just say like, I was talking about um, Facebook advertising before, and we, you know, decided to walk away from that um, 
in the same way that we were doing it because it just wasn't working. And, you know, not just staying the course because that was the plan and, you know, finding the alternate plan, but staying within your bigger picture. Yeah, that's great. No, yeah, I think being kind of flexible and being nimble and being open, right, to what what might make sense, what seems like it is actually working or is worth trying now. Like, I think that's really important. I did um I did an episode a couple weeks ago about kind of like the things that I think have helped me um, have my business kind of last for as long as it has so far. (laughs) And I kind of talked about a lot of similar things. Like it's really just about being able to, being able to keep making things work as you go (laughs) and not giving up or getting, you know, too upset if, if something seems like it's not working and not just like giving in or it's really just, yeah, as long as you're going to keep figuring out new ways of doing something or keep figuring out the way that's going to work, like there will always be something you can be doing and there will always be ways that you can grow. I feel like that's similar to what he was saying. Thank you for sharing that with us and everything else. Is there anything else that you'd want to, that you'd want people to know about swear or you or anything else? Uh, You can just follow along with our journey at swear hair. It's S W A I R H A I R. Um, So you can find us on Instagram and TikTok or swearhair.com. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to share. Thank you so much. Thank you. I can't wait to try it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited for your feedback. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, wherever you listen so you won't miss the next episode. And leave a review on iTunes so other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.